This is Play-By-Play Cast. Is that faster than a greyhound? The podcast about play-by-play guys. For play-by-play guys, by I'm told, a play-by-play guy. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for him. Now here's the host of Play-by-Play Cast, Todd Bodet. Wait, the Motel 6 guy? We'll leave the light on for you. No, Joel Godet. Joe Godet. Joel. Joe. Joel? Joel, with an L. Okay, here's your host, Joel Godet. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. You know it's officially baseball season when we've gone back-to-back baseball guests here on Play-By-Play Cats. Yeah, that's the reason. That's, <laughs> that is how you know it's baseball season, when we go back-to-back baseball guests here on Play-By-Play Cats. Welcome back in, everybody. Thanks, as always, for clicking subscribe and or download. Joining us here again on a Friday morning. Please remember, if you get an opportunity uh, during, after, before you listen to the pod, Uh, Give us a rating or review. It's real easy. Just flip over to that screen on uh, your iTunes podcast app thingamajig uh, and hit the five-star button or the four-star button. If you're going to hit the three-star button, just save that for another pod. Uh, Leave us a rating or a review uh, and uh, interact with the pod as well. We're on social media at PXPCast. I am at Joel Godet. All right, our guest today. uh, We had Kevin Fitzgerald last week from the Kohler Fireflies and uh, from ESPN as well. Cola Fireflies, of course, uh, very famous right now because Tim Tebow is their starting right fielder, uh, who, by the way, I went to see last week. Quick aside, before we get to Jim Rosenhaus, uh, went to see the Cola Fireflies play last week. Got home from the Mid-American Conference Baseball Tournament, uh, had Kevin on the pod, and we were talking, realized we weren't going to be that far apart. Uh, Got in the car, drove down to Lexington, Kentucky last Saturday, uh, which is about a three-hour drive. Not that bad. And I'm a history nerd, so I did some historical stuff in Lexington during the day. And then uh, met up with Fitz to go see a him, uh, but also uh, Tim Tebow play right field. And the Lexington Legends and Columbia Fireflies got rained out last Saturday. So I did not see Tim Tebow at all. But I did get a really sweet Coach Calipari uh, bobblehead out of it. So that's kind of cool. Uh, and then I got to spend some time with, with Fitz in person and uh, went out for uh, some adult beverages. And uh, then it got late, so I actually stayed uh, with Fitz and his uh, broadcast partner, Sam Hyman. Uh, they let me crash in their hotel room before I drove. Uh, I actually went to Louisville on Sunday, caught the ACC Tournament Championship, and then drove home. Um, but uh, I, I put two chairs together. This, this is single broadcaster living right here. Uh, bummed a hotel room with uh with with a broadcaster friend, and uh, because they didn't have an extra bed, instead of sleeping on the floor, I put two chairs together and slept there. Uh, that is not the first time I've done that too. I don't know if that's a good thing or a or a sad thing, but uh, fun weekend as well. Uh, if you haven't gotten the opportunity to go back and listen to last week's episode uh, with Kevin Fitzgerald. We talk a lot about Tim Tebow. We talk a lot about baseball broadcasting. We talk a lot about getting, uh, really his inroads in, uh, at the four letter network over at ESPN. So uh, if you haven't had a chance, go take a look at that and all the uh, other back episodes as well. Quick point of clarification on last week's episode two, uh, Fitz and I told some stories about some different guys. And, uh, one of the, the ones that came up was about Jason Benetti. And, uh, when, 
he was a minor league broadcaster in Salem, Virginia, and his general manager was a guy by the name of John Katz, who is now the general manager of the Cola Fireflies, whom Kevin Fitzgerald works for. And Fitz was telling this story that John Katz had told him about the time he thought that Jason had read, like, nutritional facts of water on the air in the 15th inning of a game. And uh, Benetti texted me after uh, the, the episode came out last week, and I have to issue a correction, because it was not nutritional facts of water. And I don't even think it was the 15th inning, because the more I thought about it, I was there when this happened. That was the year that I worked with Jason. Uh, he actually read the ingredients on the back of a bottle of hand sanitizer that was, <laughs> that was left in the booth, uh, and I think it was the 12th inning. I don't remember. But uh, I will say this. It doesn't sound as ridiculous and offbeat. Or I guess it sounds uh, more ridiculous and offbeat than it really was. We walked into the booth. The only thing there was a bottle of hand sanitizer. And Jason, being the snark uh, that he can be sometimes, and I mean that in every good way possible, <laughs> just kind of picked it up and he goes, what are they suggesting? And, uh, and uh, when the game got long, we, we read what was in the bottle because that's what happens in the minor leagues sometimes. So, uh, quick factual clarification. It was not nutritional facts of water. It was ingredients of hand sanitizer. Uh, also, congrats are in order, by the way, for, for JB. Uh, the big news out of Chicago this week uh, with his multi-year deal and expanded role with the White Sox. Uh, so, congratulations to him, um, number one, because he's an awesome broadcaster, and number two, because uh, he's an awesome person. Uh, so, kudos there. And then uh, kudos to friend of the pot as well, Alex Faust who uh, the news broke today as I record this, yesterday as you uh, listen to it, that he is the new uh, television play-by-play voice of the Los Angeles Kings. You can go back and listen to the Alex Faust episode of this podcast as well. I believe it is in the 30s. I believe it's in the 30s. If you scroll back and uh, and want to take a listen to uh, what it was like being a part-time broadcaster and then <laughs> and then really, uh, really breaking in uh, the way Alex Faust has uh, in this industry over the last really two years or so. Um, on to this week's guest, though, and that is from the Cleveland Indians, Jim Rosenhaus. And uh, F- Jim is a, a saint, first of all, because I reached out to him knowing I was going to be in Cleveland last week for the Mid-American Conference Baseball Tournament, but not knowing my schedule. So I basically reached out to a guy who doesn't know me and I didn't know him. We have the title. We've both previously worked for the Buffalo Bisons. Um and I said, hey, would you like to do this podcast interview? Um, but I don't really have a way to get to you. So if you, you might, like, if you're able to come to me, that would be huge. Also, I don't know when we can do it because I don't know my schedule. Also, I don't know how long I'm going to be there because it's a, it's a tournament and we can get eliminated. And, uh, and Jim said yes. And we tried to make it work and it wound up not working out in person uh, just because of the Indians travel schedule and then Jim's actual schedule and the fact that the Cardinals only lasted two days so I was kind of home earlier than I expected to be uh so we did it on the phone this week and uh Jim and I were able to talk for about a half an hour uh he had a a couple interviews the morning that we taped this uh but I it was a really good half hour conversation and I'm really excited about it and it's different off the top and that's where we start this episode and it's something it's a conversation we really haven't had with anybody to this point which is why I'm really excited about this one. Uh, Jim took a risk, a huge risk, when he joined the Cleveland Indians because Jim was a career play-by-play guy. Uh, He had spent time in the Carolina League. 
Uh, and then he became the voice of the Buffalo Bisons. And he was there for 11 years until 2007 when he got an opportunity to go to the Cleveland Indians, but not as a play-by-play guy. And we've seen some guys make similar jumps in recent years as well for, for various teams, but it's that's a hard jump to make. And Jim will detail it. The point was made clear. This is not a play-by-play job. Uh, and he decided to to make the move to go take a major league job that was not calling play-by-play uh, to kind of gamble and bet on himself. And a couple of years later, uh, the bet on himself paid uh, because in 2012, he was hired as Tom Hamilton's full-time partner uh, in the Cleveland Indians booth. So uh, Jim Rosenhaus has an interesting story that is a little bit different than anybody that we've really talked to in the 50 episodes of this podcast previously. So I was excited to, to dive into that and a whole lot more, including the World Series, including his approach to preparation, including his approach to what makes baseball great on radio. All of those things are on this edition of Play by Play Cast with Cleveland Indians broadcaster Jim Rosenhaus. Well, it, it was hard because um, I really enjoyed my time in Buffalo and I was happy with what I was doing. I, I love the city and, and had great friends there and, and the Bisons were a tremendous organization to work for. So, um, you know, at that point, having been there as long as I was and, and the amount of time I was in the minor leagues, uh, I was kind of just figuring that, that that's where I would be because it is, I mean, it's a needle in a haystack. There's just not many, many jobs at the major league level. So I think you, you do the best you can where you are and, and you enjoy where you are. And, and I certainly felt like I found a great spot in Buffalo but the job did open up with the Indians, um, not play-by-play, and that was made made very clear that, that, that there would be no play-by-play, especially the first year, even if there were times where uh, the main announcer, Tom Hamilton, uh, was on vacation or anything like that. They already had fill-in people. They wanted to make sure that, that I just concentrated on the engineering and doing the pregame show and, and some other responsibilities. So that was the big decision. Um, did I want to stay at AAA and be the play-by-play voice of the Bisons and then call every game and things like that, or go for a much less prominent role, albeit in the major leagues. And ultimately that's what, what I decided to do. I called a, a bunch of people and bounced, bounced the idea off of them. And the general consensus was if, if you can get to the major leagues, if indeed that's your dream, uh, being there, put you in a, in a better spot than where I was because you're, you're front and center with people who would make those decisions down the road. Uh, but again, no guarantees. There was, there was no, certainly not what I'm doing now was not available then. And then I don't think they saw that coming down the road, but, but uh, they asked if I'd be willing to do that. And, and so we, we did take that leap of faith and, and fortunately everything has worked out, but it was a really, really hard decision at the time. Obviously, yeah. I mean, it all works out in the end, but what's it like for you once you've taken that job now and you're in those first couple of years where you know they've already said, hey, there's no play-by-play in this, but like, there's got to be a granule in the back of your mind that's thinking, all right, how do I keep doing what I do, but also positioning myself? Like you said, you're, if you're in the major leagues, you're closer to it. You're giving yourself more of an opportunity. Um, continuing to position myself to get to where I ultimately want to be while still thriving in this new role that you've got. Well, I think, um, you know, it's funny that, and this sounds, sounds crazy. There are a lot of other reasons, but 
I think it, part of part of the reason I, I made the move, I had great support from my family. My wife was awesome about it, and and she said, "Hey, it's a you know it's a great adventure. Let's let's go for it," and, and all that kind of stuff. And part of it is, um, you know, if that's your dream, what you want to do, just uh, the key part being, I was able to travel with the team. I think if, if it had been a studio position, I might have uh, given it much more pause in terms of leaving. But because I traveled with the team, was in the booth every night, that type of thing, and, and would meet different people, what a great chance to see Major League Baseball, all these stadiums that that you know you read about and, and maybe haven't seen. And so from that standpoint, it was it was a lot of fun. And then once you get into it. Sure. Do you want to do play by play? Absolutely. That's what that's what you're trained to do. But I always went back to what they told me when they hired me <laughs> is that, you know, focus on what you're hired to do. And, you know, maybe the other stuff will take care of itself down the road with with no promises, but focus on, on what you were hired to do. So that's what I tried to do. And then you have an opportunity to to work behind. Uh, at that point, I think Tom Hamilton had been here. I don't know, 15 years, maybe a little bit more than that. And then Mike Hegan, who was uh, the other uh, announcer on the on the broadcast team, he had been there a long time as well. So what a great opportunity to learn from them. Uh, I think sometimes when, you know, you're at a certain spot, you think, well, you know, you know what, you know, everything there is to know. And, and I don't know that that I ever thought that, but what a great opportunity to learn if there are differences um, at the major league level, as opposed to the minor league level of which the, the game itself is, is pretty darn similar and it's still, you know, building relationships and getting along with people, I think is the biggest key and the biggest similarities between the two. So that part's different, but, but I learned a ton from Tom and Mike and, and really used that time uh, to try and, and learn some things while I wasn't doing the games on the air. I was gonna say, what'd you learn in not doing play by play, but just being around it? How did you get better at doing play-by-play when the time rolled around? Well, I, I think the one thing that was pleasantly surprising is that even though these guys had had been there for more than a decade, you know, and, and many more years than that, and in some cases, um, the preparation they put in on a daily basis and, you know, never taking a game off, so to speak, but, but their daily preparation uh, was much greater than than anything that I had been exposed to where I was. And part of that is, um, as you know, Joel, in the, in the minor leagues, you're asked to do a, a bunch of different <laughs> things. So I'll be honest with you. There were days at, you know, at AAA where by the time I got done with the responsibilities for team travel and, and some other things, uh, you went on the air without ever reading a newspaper or, no, or notes or anything like that. You're just kind of flying by the seat of your pants out of necessity, which is what made the minor leagues fun. Absolutely. Here's the three stories um, I didn't tell last night. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so you just kind of, you know, there were a lot of days where, where you just had so many other things going on. I think the game was unfortunately almost an afterthought, but, um, once, once you're here, this is your job. And then the most important thing is what goes out over the air. And I think that was probably the biggest takeaway from that time. What's your prep like now at the major league level, uh, on a daily basis that involves, I mean, what kind of things do you read? Who do you talk to? What's a, a regular day for you in that regard? Well, certainly, you know, before you even get to the park or, or I do have an office at the ballpark when we're at home, um, you, you read you read your your newspaper stuff from from the day before and the opposing teams as well. And then just websites and, and you know, anywhere you can get information kind of recapping what's been going on 
in Major League Baseball the night before. So injuries to key players and things like that. Um, so that, you know, you try and spend a, a good amount of time uh, just kind of finding stories that, that might have happened the day before. And then the key with when you you read your newspaper clips and the opposing team's clips is that you'll have some things to talk about when you go downstairs from the night before. And when I say go downstairs, when you go down to the field and into the clubhouses. And that's that's probably the biggest key for me is uh, because I still do the pregame show and, and I get interviews and things like that, uh, that time that the clubhouses are open and the players are on the field coming out for batting practice and things like that, that's so valuable to talk to players and coaches, not only from the Indians, but from the other team as well. And and that can lend itself to some good things during the broadcast. What are those conversations like? Uh, and, and how do you get into them? I mean, if, just from the standpoint of, there, there's obviously probably a lot of guys you want to get to, um, and you're there to get information, but you don't want to seem like you're, you don't want to seem like you're there to get information, if that makes sense. Uh, how do you go about it the right way in, in terms of getting what you need and, and also developing relationships? Because these are all people that you, you're you around all the time. You know, I'm not sure what the right way is. I mean, you're right. You don't want to be you don't want to be there all the time. So that I mean, you can tell if you walk in and and they see you and then they scatter for the trainer's room. I mean, obviously, that's not good. But um, I think with your own guys, you you know. Um, when's a good time to approach them and, and talk about different stuff. And a lot of times it's just, uh, for instance, here, the Cavaliers are in the finals. And I know certain guys uh, go to games as much as they can if, if there's an off night or we have a day game and that type of thing. Okay. So there's something to talk about. Hey, you know, what do you think of the Cavs game last night? Or if a guy's from from Chicago, like a Jason Kipnis and, and the Bulls are in the playoffs or the Blackhawks, and, and I know he's a fan of both. I mean, you talk about stuff like that because, I mean, gosh, if you just talked about his game the night before every time, that, that might be a struggle. So that's how you get to know him more on a personal level and, and things like that. And as far as the other teams go, um, you know, a lot of times it's just, for instance, the White Sox. We played them early in the season and they have a shortstop named Tim Anderson, who's, who's one of the better young shortstops in, in baseball. And just reading through the media guide, he did not play high school baseball till his junior year and has had this quick rise to the major leagues. So that was the opener for me. And I went down and sought him out in the clubhouse and just asked him, you know, how, why didn't you play till your junior year? And he had a great story about being more into basketball and uh, how he was encouraged to, to play by a buddy of his. And, and he just went to a tryout on a lark because a buddy said, Hey, you <laughs> ought to play baseball. So stuff like that. Like you, you try and look in the media guides that when you go down there and you want to talk to somebody, you have something to talk about with them. How do you think all the time you spent in the minor leagues um, informed and prepared what you're able to do now uh, in this role in terms of preparation, in terms of game execution, in terms of all of those things? Um, that, that makes what you do now uh, a little bit easier? Um, wouldn't trade it for anything. Um, 16 years between A-ball and, and AAA. And, you know, I guess uh, well, I think one of the biggest takeaways from, from my time there is how hard the game is, appreciating how hard it is to reach the major leagues. Because there are a lot of outstanding players at AAA that either never got a shot or we're up for just a little bit and, and it just didn't work out 
and and they spent a lot of time playing very well at a very high level at AAA. And it, it just shows you it is really if you make the major leagues in baseball, it is you're ready to go. Um, you have done your time and and served your apprenticeship and and you should be prepared uh, to play at a, a really really high level. So so that was a takeaway. And, and just from a, a broadcasting standpoint. Um, certainly building the relationships and it, it's actually a little bit easier in the minor leagues because I think everybody's kind of in the same boat and, um, it's a little bit different when you get to the major leagues, you don't see them as much, um, in your travel situation as, as maybe you do in the minor leagues, but, um, it's still the the same thing in, in terms of building relationships and, and talking to players. And to be honest with you, it was pretty easy when I first got here because the, the Bisons were, an Indians AAA club. So you knew and all the, the guys. Time, yeah, at the <laughs> time, there were quite a few players who I had seen in the last year or two or three during my time in Buffalo that were now key players with Cleveland, and that made it a lot easier, and including the coaching staff, too, so that, that made it a lot easier. I was going to say, is that one of those things, too, where you're thinking as a minor league broadcaster coming up in, in terms of creating relationships and developing connections, um, just getting in touch with the big league club that you so often work with uh, and being able to create those relationships. How, how integral kind of was that to your, I don't want to say strategy, because that seems crass. Um, but when you lay out kind of how you want to go about moving yourself forward, uh, is, is that relationship critical? In, in my case, it was. Um, I had not really gotten too far in, in any other processes, you know, in, in terms of a job with, with many other teams. I mean, there were a couple of callbacks, but, um, you know, in terms of ever being brought in for an interview, uh, that did not happen. And, um, you know, whether I, you know, it just, it could have been a reflection of my work that they just didn't like it. But, um, you know, I think what the key was in this situation, um, Curtis Danberg, who interned with the Bisons, and then moved on and, and was working with the Indians. He's the one who tipped me off to the job opening initially and said, Hey, you know, this isn't open yet, but get your stuff down here uh, because something may happen. That was huge. And then once I got into the process, being able to have um, Eric Wedge, who was a manager in, yeah. in Buffalo and was then the manager with the Indians to be able to call him and, and say, can you put a good word in for me? It got to the point where, the person who had the ultimate final say in the hiring, I did not know her. But as I found out after I was hired, she said they almost didn't hire me because she was sick of people coming into her <laughs> office who knew me from different um, either coaches or player development people who had come through Buffalo or even um, Wendy Hopple is, is someone who uh, was tremendously helpful from the team travel standpoint whenever I had a question. Uh, she was the person in Cleveland who would help me. And, and even that was someone who put in a good word for me. So um, all those connections were huge in this particular case. And I don't think I would have had that in another situation. I was going to say, uh, we had Josh Wetzel on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, several weeks ago now. Um, and we had the conversation of just kind of how you get, how, how do you get to the major league level? Um, is Is there a secret to getting yourself to the major league level? And that's a really broad swath there, but... Um, what do you think separates guys that are able to, you know, like that, that you mentioned how difficult it is to get to the major leagues as a player. What separates the guys that get there as a broadcaster? I, you know, I, I think some of it is luck. Some of it is timing. 
Um, if I'm going to guess anytime there's a major league opening and they get whatever, 200 uh, tapes or now websites or however they get the material, I'm going to guess, I mean, the final 25 to 30 probably are capable in terms of of doing the job. They sound good. They're professional. And I can't imagine how hard it is for the decision makers when you get down to the final 10 and, and then down, if you have to choose between two, um, I can't imagine what that's like. So uh, from that standpoint, it's extremely difficult and you just have to be the right fit for that organization. If, if there's a comfort level, which I think I had with people in Cleveland, not only from the decision-making process for, for the radio job, but just over the years, I mean, I, I had 11 years in Buffalo when they were the affiliate and actually two other years in single a Kinston where, yeah. you know, I had just, I had gotten an, I got to know Mark Shapiro when he was first starting out and he was the, the team president by the time I got here and, and that type of thing. So, I mean, I, if you're asking it, is there one way or another? <laughs> I, I don't know. I think I was fortunate that I had all those things line up at the time that they did, because you could have all those contacts, but have a radio team or a TV team that's there for 20 more years. And by the time there's a change, uh, the people that you knew, or maybe you're in a different spot. So, so that timing is gone, if that makes sense. Sure. Um, you know, it has to line up timing wise. That's why I say, I mean, there's, there are so many good broadcasters at the AAA level and, and maybe that timing just doesn't line up right. And, and you certainly feel lucky when it does. I read a quote from you, or I guess, or maybe you had quoted somebody, um, but it was, don't let information get in the way of telling people what's going on. Um, as a philosophy of broadcasting. Uh, what's that mean to you a little bit more in depth? Well, um, certainly here, I mean, the, the reams of information that, that you have at your disposal is ridiculous. So uh, you don't want to be sitting there talking about a guy and maybe looking down at your notes and, and all that. And all of a sudden there's a, a fly ball heading out of the ballpark yeah. and you're missing it. <laughs> The last thing you want is to be talking about a guy and, and people are listening at home and hearing the crowd roar and wondering what's going on. <laughs> so at, at least on radio, um, that's the most important thing. Call the play and and be able to, you know, do that nice build up so that that when there is a big play, you're ready and and then work the other stuff in when you can, because it it can be overwhelming. And and I think that hit home. uh Gosh, during the postseason last year, <laughs> the amount of information on every player that, that yeah. you get um, as the postseason got deeper and deeper was just ridiculous um, in a good way. But, uh, yeah, you got to be careful and, and, again, remember why you're there. And that's for the people who can't see the game. you got to tell them what's going on and hopefully, you know, build the drama a little bit, too. They always say that's what makes Scully such a master um, in terms of storytelling. Uh, how, how do you how do you combine not letting the information get in the way? with getting the information uh, in there the right way and, and being able to weave stories effectively. Um, what's kind of your approach to, to picking your spots and, and making sure that things uh, kind of weave into a, a, a pretty tapestry? Well, I think you can kind of, um, and again, when you say information too, I think the key is not to bog them down with numbers and, and my goodness, there certainly is a lot of it now with the launch angles and um, <laughs> exit velocities and all that. But I think going back to what we talked to earlier, um, I enjoy talking more about what I might have talked to a player about 
before the game and that type of thing. Uh, background, uh, how they got to the major league, some obstacles they overcame, things like that. Um, but I, I think you can, what you do is you, the longer you're, you're around and you see different pitchers, especially your own, you know, who works fast and you know, who doesn't. <laughs> and if there's runners on base, you know, the game slows down. Uh, so, so that might lend itself to some more of that. But if, if a guy's really in a good rhythm and, and he's just blowing through a batting order, it, it's pretty much calling the plays and, and save your, save your story for another day. Cause there'll be one. So, so I guess that's the key is, is knowing that you don't have to, you do all this prep work and you don't have to get it all in, in, in one game or every game, or even a couple of games. It might be something that you talk to a player about in April. And if it's a team you see a couple of times, it might not be a story you tell till, till August. So I guess that's the key. How do you deal with the, the new school of baseball too? I mean, you mentioned launch angles and all that stuff. Um, you know, ball state played a baseball game a couple of weeks ago uh, and they struck out nine times against a pitcher in five innings, and he, he wasn't a huge strikeout pitcher. So I said to one of the guys at the cage the next day, um, I, I was like, hey, Epps, what happened? And he said uh, he had a really high spin rate, and the ball just seemed like it was rising. Um, so he and I had this discussion about spin rate, and I went and I researched a little bit more, and I kind of sat down and I said, I've, I've got to, like in order to explain what happened yesterday, I've got to explain what spin rate is and why it's important. Um, and when I did it, I felt like I got kind of bogged down a little bit. Uh, how do you explain those things that are kind of evolutions of the game of baseball? And some of them are kind of wonky statistically, um, to make the point, but not just crush people. Um, I I guess it's tricky. I mean, when you talk about spin rate, I mean, we have a pitcher with the Indians, Trevor Bauer, who is extremely scientific with all that stuff. Um, but I think where, where you can maybe break it down is when he's talking about spin rate, maybe that used to be what they termed late life on a fastball. You know, it it seemed what you just said about, you know, the, the ball got on the hitter quickly, maybe more so than it looked. If you looked at just velocity and, and he's pretty good at breaking that stuff down. So I think maybe getting it in those terms, if you can bring it back to, um, and gosh, our manager, Terry Francona is great about it. Um, if somebody hits a home run and someone brings up launch angle or exit velocity, <laughs> he'll just say, well, it ended up halfway up the bleachers. So I guess both of those are pretty good, you know, and, <laughs> and that kind of breaks it down. And he's not um, making fun of those two things, but I think he's getting it back to if the ball ends up halfway up the bleachers, um, that means obviously that there was good launch angle and good exit velocity. Um, and I think everybody's different. That's the beauty of the game. And, and I think we're seeing more of it more uh, as time goes by of, of the more scientific approach, but, um, you know, at least hitting wise, you, you can tell if a ball goes a long way, <laughs> there's probably a good yeah. launch angle and a good exit velocity. And if, if a pitcher's striking out a bunch, you know, maybe the spin rates are real good on certain pitches. So I, I guess you, you try and manage it without bogging people down. Um, I know I've only got a couple more minutes of your time, so I want to touch on uh, and bounce around it real quickly, if that's okay. Um, sure. I haven't worked with a partner in baseball since my first year doing baseball um, consistently. And uh, our associate AD here at Ball State is a, is a former baseball coach of ours as well. So I've had him in the booth a couple of times. And I remember the first time I had him in to do color with me, I, I just kind of sat there and I was like, uh, what do I do with Pat? Um, because it wasn't something I had, I had been used to in a baseball setting. Um, 
what's the approach like for you? Um, I mean, obviously you worked with Duke for probably 11 years and, and now you've got Tom in the booth with you as well um, of working baseball with a partner and creating a conversation, but certainly not over talking the game. I, I think it varies with, with who you work with and their style. And uh, at least here, there's a little bit of back and forth. A lot of times uh, if I'm on the play-by-play in the middle innings, um, Tom might be visiting with sponsors or, or doing some other things like that uh, during that that time that, that he's not doing the play-by-play. So there's not a whole lot of interaction there. But uh, during his innings, I kind of follow his lead. And a lot of times he'll, you know, he'll get locked in and, and kind of goes back to what we said about, um, you know, just the pace of the game. Um, if the pitcher's really rolling and, and, you know, you just sit back and, and the play-by-play guy calls the play. Um, sometimes it'll be different. He, he takes some vacation and, and I'll work with a variety of different partners uh, who are former Cleveland Indians. So if I'm working with Mike Hargrove, obviously there's a lot more back and forth. And you just ask him, you know, if you, if you see a certain play and he was an old first baseman, if there's a certain play by the first baseman that easily lends itself to to something that that he would follow. And I think that the biggest key is you listen to their responses and it might lead you down another road of, of something really interesting or funny or a, a, a good story. Um, but again, based on the game and on radio, you have to be really careful because you don't want to miss something. So that's that's a big key there. Um, if I can touch on last year real quick, um, emo- mm-hmm. emotions for you. Uh, what's it like dealing with heightened emotions and really tense situations as a broadcaster, especially in baseball, um, and trying to keep yourself as level as possible uh, when you get to like a game seven, when Rajai Davis hits a home run, when you're in extra innings, um, and trying to keep your own cool while everything's going mad around you. Well, you certainly want to do that, but you want to convey how tense the situation is. And I think True, fans yeah. fans are looking for that. So you don't want to be too level-headed. <laughs> <laughs> but obviously, if you want to keep it level enough where people know what's going on. And, and I know Tom was on that call uh, when Rajay hit the home run and, and threw, threw the extra inning. Um, and I made it. You know, you just you convey that that excitement that's in the ballpark, but also enough where people know exactly what's going on. So, um, you know, it's it, you just kind of roll with it. And, and I guess you just try and not go too far overboard. And and I hope we did that in the last uh, last couple of innings of, of game seven. But uh, it certainly is is a ton of fun. And I think that one of the biggest keys, too, is when something big happens is to let people hear the crowd, which was going absolutely bonkers. I, I think that's really important. Uh, that brings them in, in a little bit and, and lets them really feel the emotion of the ballpark. And and hopefully that was that was happening in, in game seven. I know I've got to let you go, but uh, if I can ask one more question, because I'd be remiss mm-hmm. if I didn't. Um, your last, if I'm right on this, your last Buffalo Bulls basketball broadcast um, was an 80-72 win against Ball State. Uh, in which, in which Calvin Cage had thirty points and Skip Mills had thirty eight. Uh, do you remember it in any way? <laughs> you know, I, I probably remember a day where Calvin Cage had a had a big day, but um, to be honest with you, I don't. I feel like my last game for for the Bulls would have been they would have lost in the in the MAC tournament. Well, yeah, correct. That would have been, yeah. yeah, 
but maybe that was the last, last regular, regular season, season game. Yep, last regular season. Uh, yeah, you know what? I'd, <laughs> the year prior, they had gone to the the finals of the tournament with the crazy overtime loss to Ohio, and and I know that you know the following season uh, was a pretty good one too. But um, unfortunately, I don't. I, <laughs> I don't recall the specifics. I remember Calvin Cage having some good games, though, it's his senior year for sure. I was just putting your broadcaster memory to the test and see, <laughs> see, what, I could, see what I could dredge up from old school action. That is one of the two Cleveland Indians play-by-play voices. Tom Hamilton, of course, the other on WTAM and the Cleveland Indians radio network in and around Cleveland and Ohio. And uh, I cannot thank Jim enough for taking the time joining us here on the pod again and, and sticking with me as we tried to get that thing scheduled uh, in and around our schedules uh, the previous week and then this, this week as well when we finally uh, got to to touch base on the phone. Different conversation, though, than a lot of the ones we've had on the pod, and I'm really excited about the last couple of weeks of this podcast just from the standpoint of the, the different types of conversations we've been able to have uh, with a guy like Kevin Fitzgerald last week, who's in a much different boat, just kind of up and coming in this industry still and, and carving his own path to Mark Janes a couple of weeks ago, our, our first real in-depth conversation about racing and IndyCar and, uh, and Jim Rosenhaus today, who, I mean, everybody that we've talked to on this podcast has taken a very different career path in and of their own right. Uh, his is an, a, a, a unique one. And uh, I was excited to dive into uh, how he got himself to where he is now and how his career has paid off for him, and, and certainly reaping the benefits now, uh, being able to, to follow one of the exciting teams, one of the more exciting teams in Major League Baseball. Uh, so that is Jim Rosenhaus here on Play by Play Cast. A lot of guests coming up over the next couple of weeks uh, that we're recording over the next couple of days, actually. So I'm excited, uh, in particular for me right now, because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hear like the next five episodes in the next three days. So I'm excited about that and excited for what is in store for you guys coming up over the next uh, month or so here of the podcast. We're going to talk a lot about basketball. Uh, NBA season is winding down. The finals are uh, currently, uh, as I'm recording this, Cleveland is not going to win this game. So Golden State is up one nothing in the finals. Uh, but those are the only two teams left, Golden State and Cleveland. So uh, a lot of NBA guys that uh, we're going to get to uh, talk to and, and pick their brains over the next couple of weeks in particular as well. So we're going to talk some basketball and mix in some other stuff uh, as we hit the summer months. Here and uh, we get some downtime in college. We'll probably dive into some college voices here as well, and and uh, probably try to stay some some pretty active uh, in in the baseball community, also. But that will do it for us here for episode 51 of Play by Play Cast. Many thanks again to Jim Rosenhaus for you for clicking download, or and and or subscribe and joining us this week. Remember rate and or review the podcast if you get the opportunity, and then follow us on social media as well. We are at PXPCast, and for this week. We're out.